Welcome to The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home, live inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. And it's a brand new uh, week and time for some interesting conversations with fascinating people. I love to do it. And my guest is Tom Rose today. And to help you nutritionally, I would like to uh, recommend the wonderful product, Balance of Nature, Fruits and Veggies in a Capsule. They sponsor the program and we are grateful to them. And I am so grateful to be on the product. You've probably heard those commercials a lot here on the station talking about actually they're just real people that call into the company to give their stories about how the fruits and veggies are making such a huge difference in their lives. And they are calling in by literally the hundreds every week. So what they do is they just take some of these phone calls with the permission of the people and they rebroadcast them. So you can hear actual people just talking about what it means to take the fruits and veggies and what it's done for them. And what you kind of hear across the board are stories of people feeling more energetic than they have in a long time. Uh, less uh, body aches, more mental clarity, uh, uh, just a greater sense of wellness uh, because good nutrition is just that. It's it's what fuels our bodies and our minds. You have to have good nutrition. And we all try to some extent to eat healthy, or at least most of us do. But no matter how hard we try, we never really attain the 10 servings of fruits and vegetables on a daily basis, I think, in its purest form, the raw, like in a raw fruits and vegetable, not something that's had all the vitamins cooked out of it, which I tend to do sometimes even myself or saute it to death um, so that it tastes wonderful. The fruits and veggies in a capsule takes all that guesswork out of it and the shopping time to what it would cost and uh, do to put 10 servings on your table per day. It really, truly is remarkable. And thousands upon thousands of people have benefited from the wonderful, just the the volume of fruits and vegetables, but also the variety because it's 31 and nothing else is added into these capsules. It is nothing but the produce. It's just food. When people say, well, I'm not sure I'll have to ask my doctor if I can take it. I always say to them, it's food and nothing but food. There is nothing added in a laboratory on in any phase of the putting the fruits and veggies into the capsules. So it truly is remarkable. I feel like it has done more for my well-being in the past 10 years that I've been taking it than almost anything in my life. It's part of what Dr. Howard calls the the triad of health. And he always says that there is a spiritual, emotional side that needs to be healthy. There is a physical side that needs to be healthy. And there is a nutritional side that needs to be healthy. And balance of nature helps you get that prong of it, the nutritional side. And so by all means, if you would like 35% off of your first preferred order and free shipping for time to come, then you put Laura into the promo code. That's my name, Laura, L-A-U-R-A. Put it into the promo code at balanceofnature.com. Laura in the promo code or call 800-2468-751-800-2468-751. And when you're speaking with the person on the phone, again, you put Laura into the promo code. That way they know that you heard it here on the way home. And when we come back, You'll hear from Tom Rose. We're going to be talking about all sorts of interesting things. Don't go away. It's the way home. 
Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. I had the great good pleasure when I moved to the Midwest about two years ago uh, to meet a wonderful, interesting, dynamic family whom I've gotten to know uh, a little bit through their work and their words and their videos and just uh, friendship because we now live in the same area. But I'm very excited to reintroduce someone to you. Well, let's see. How do we even start this whole thing? Um, He's a guy who has been in the media for a long time. He and his beloved wife, Joyce, had a TV show for 13 years uh, locally in the Indiana area called Cooking Together with, was it Tom and Joyce? Correct. I'm I'm introducing you through talking about you. Okay. Yes, exactly. Cooking together with Tom and Joyce. And so 13 years of that cooking tutorials, teaching all over the country, basically uh, giving classes on cooking. Just a wonderful, wonderful legacy of love and love in the kitchen and then cookbooks being written afterwards. Uh, my guest is Tom Rose today, and I had them on my show Like I said, probably more like a year and a half ago now. And uh, it was just so much fun because I happened to appear in one of their videos because they now have gone on uh, Tom and his son, Brock, and his granddaughter, Amanda, to creating these wonderful videos wonderful videos called Cooking Together Generations. And that's exactly what they do. They cook in Tom's kitchen and they have a wonderful time. They make you laugh and they teach you fabulous recipes. But it's all in honor of uh, Tom's beautiful wife, Joyce, who passed away a few years ago from breast cancer. And so now there's a, a whole other iteration and chapter of things that are going on that Tom's doing as a result of that. So Tom, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to see you again. Thank you for being here. I, great to see you again. Now, I don't want to out you on your age, but you have to honestly be the youngest, most vibrant, most incredible young octogenarian i have ever met i'll be 82 in november i'll be honest you but you honestly have the energy of a 30 year old i saw you in action cooking in the kitchen it was just so much fun and so and i have your wonderful cookbook uh that you put together so tell us a little bit i know your whole life was was your 58 year marriage to your beautiful wife joyce and you lost her to breast cancer um, is it three years ago now or, or two yeah, and a half? 2019, ago? August, correct. Okay. So it that has been probably the most difficult thing ever. And and yet you put one foot in front of the other and you take her great advice because I'm reading the new book that you've written, which is basically it is what it is and put your big boy pants on and, and get to it, right? You got it. That was her favorite expression. And so that's the way I approached it after she passed away. I decided that's... If if I would have asked her what to do, that's what she would have told me. <laughs> you know, just you mu- you know, yes. it is what it is, Tom. Yeah, put your big boy pants on and face it. So that's exactly. what exactly you must hear her voice all the time saying that at various times. I do. The whole family does. The whole family knows that was her favorite expression. So they all She's- hear it all the time. I, I wish so much that I could have met her. She just sounds like the most incredible woman. But you've written a, bo- a book now that I find so important. It gives me goosebumps. I, I have been looking over it. And 
and it's it's a truly beautiful thing. Uh, at, so here you are at this point in your life, and and your and Joyce has, you know, died, and you wrote a book, basically completely open hearted about grief and and your dealings with it. the The book is called Balloon in a Box coping with grief and it's incredible words of wisdom and all of your feelings poured out into this on dealing with grief. So tell us a bit about balloon in the box. First of all, what does balloon in a box signify? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. How's that? Let's, okay. talk, about, let's talk about how the book came about. Um, I went online to find some help and everything I read was clinical. I will say, a college professor clinical, I apologize to all the college professors, but, you know, somebody's standing up saying, this is what it is, and, you know, you need to do this and do this. Uh, I did find some people that, like myself that had written some stuff that, that, that got to it. But uh, about that time, a friend of mine who was a doctor in, in Florida called me and said, how are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm doing okay, you know. He said, well, he said, a friend of mine, I lost his wife, and he found writing a journal helped him. So that's how it all got started. I started doing a journal on my computer every morning. Uh, he called me a few months later and said, how are you doing with it? And I said, oh, I'm doing good with it, I think. He said, well, send it to me. I said, well, just a bunch of sentences and paragraphs. He said, send it to me. So I did. He called me back immediately. He said, Tom, turn that into a paper. Uh, my son and I are in the practice together. I want to give it to our patients who lose a spouse. I sent that to him, and then he called me and said, you need to write a book. And I said, I don't write books. He said, you wrote a cookbook. I said, those are easy. You just pick the recipe and put it in. This is, you know. So I decided, what the heck, I wasn't doing anything else. I might as well take it on and try it. And uh, surprisingly to me, it, it flowed. It came out. Uh, all my feelings and everything came out in the book. They're all in here. Uh, so it, it, it made it easy from that standpoint. I just opened my heart up and just typed whatever I felt. And, uh, and with some, with the help of my son, uh, who did all the formatting and everything, and another friend who edited it for me, why I ended up with the book. Well, I have to tell you, I give you, I honor you, and and I can't tell you the the great courage I feel you have. Not because it's it's not an amazing book, but because to to be so honest with your feelings when when I'm reading the book, it really is so moving and it touches me on such a deep level. And yet you have such great wisdom in it that I, I just feel like everybody, it, whether you've lost a spouse or lost a loved one or I, for whatever your stage of grief is, there's just so much wisdom and beauty in this book. You truly opened your heart, Tom, you poured it out in, in the most honest of ways. And I think that is going to crack open a million hearts that might be broken so that it might receive some of the healing and the love that you have. I, I found, um, I, I was just reading a lot of it and I came across a part that I think you, you don't realize how helpful this can be, but you talk about things that you would have rather not hear when you were mourning and, and things that you did hear that were truly helpful to you. And I have to say, this is so universal. When somebody loses someone, how we, we, we want to say the right things. We want to be there for our friends and our loved ones and our family, but we may not always get hit the mark, so to speak. And I just love this list that you made of things yeah. maybe not to say. Do you mind if I read them or do you want to? I can't. Uh, the ones not to say? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I think I experienced this 
if you haven't been there, you don't really understand. And I didn't realize that until it was me. Um, you think I knew, oh, we knew Joyce was given six or nine months in 2017. So I knew the inevitable was going to happen. But when it does happen, it's it's totally different than what you expect. I, I tell everybody, I said, if you want to know how it feels, just lay down there and I'll kick you in the chest. And that's how it feels. That, that's what that's what impacted me. But, but when you're at the funeral home and you're there and the line's coming through and people are coming up and I always have a difficult time like most people. Well, what are you going to say? Well, don't say it'll get better because it doesn't. It just changes. Don't say it'll pass with time because you really don't want it to pass. You want to, you want to learn to live with it, carry those things with you. Uh, at least he, or like they said, at least she's no longer in pain. Well, I'm sorry, you know, that's, that, everything happens for a reason. They t- say that. Uh, I understand how you feel. I always wanted to say, no, you don't. You don't know how I feel. Uh, one person told me, that you said, well, you had her for 59 years. Well, <laughs> that, that doesn't set well either. And God needed her up there more than we needed her down here. Well, that's tough to swallow too. But I learned that there are things that you should say. <laughs> that things could, that are helpful, right. Yeah. And and I know you're not disparaging people who are trying to be helpful. Oh, no, I understood them. <laughs> they were, they yeah. were trying to be helpful. Uh, the, th- the thing is, when, when you face somebody that's grieving, don't try to fix it. Okay. There's a thing, there's a, there was a quotation, and I put it in the book. There are three needs of the griever. To find the words for the loss, to say the words, and to know the words have been heard. So that was my opportunity with the book. I found the words, I said the words, and people that read the book are hearing the words. And that's what the, that's what a griever needs. You don't need to fix it. You don't need to say anything. You just need to listen because they're pouring out way the way they feel. And that I think that's the biggest thing that happens is everybody tries to help and fix it. My family was great. They were there for me, but they didn't try to help me. They didn't try to make it better. They didn't try to do all those things. They didn't you know, come to me and say, well, this or that. They just let me let me speak and they listened. So yes. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, uh, I think you can go to the future. I think you can say nothing I could say would make, make you feel any better. I understand that. I'm here for you. Uh, I am praying for you and your family. I'm sorry for your loss. Say nothing. Just give them a hug. I love you. I think that's the biggest thing to say. If you just walk up and say, I love you and give them a hug, that says everything. When you say, I love you, that means everything else. That means you're there for them. So those are the ones I appreciate it. Covers all the bases. I, you said in the book that there were 450 people at Joyce's, uh, you know, gathering there at the end. And you you remembered only really the words I love you and, th- and, and the hugs that you received that it, that was what you took with you. And so I, this is just a beautiful thing. And I, I think, you know, I don't think people, especially men, and I, I don't want to stereotype or anything, but it's not as common to hear these very deep emotional truths and feelings coming from a man. Um, and, and I think that's something why the book is so important that it came out. I think to hear this from a man who who literally gushes about his life with his wife and that love and to be so honest about what that that love meant and 
both to have it and, and then to not have it on a daily basis is just really going to help a million people. Now, I want to ask you, balloon in a box, what does that mean? Okay. Well, when we went, go back to saying it is what it is, put on your big boy pants and deal with it. That's exactly the approach I took. And I said, so how do you deal with it? And what is it really like? And so what I compared it to, somebody a long time ago said, it's like a ball in a box. And I said, mm, it's close, but I think it's more like a balloon in a box. If you picture a balloon on a string in a box and it floats around, when it touches those different sides, when, when it first happens, the balloon's touching all the sides. So you're going through all the emotions. You're confused. You're angry. You're lonely. You're sad. You're, all those things are happening to you, and it's really tough to handle. So that's when I said the balloon in the box, when you learn to take a hold of that string and control that balloon a little bit, and keep it from touching all three corners at once. So you go through three or four emotions at a time. One thing at a time you can handle. And, and and you want the good memory. You want the memory over here that, you know, the things that you did, the cooking or something like that. So, but, but it's hard to, again, if you, rem- if you take a balloon on a spring, you can't move a balloon. You know, it doesn't move exactly where you want it to. So sometimes it surprises you and it's those things. Uh, I always tell the story that, my family always has, we always had the holiday dinners at our house because it's the bigger place. And the first Thanksgiving, the kids said, well, we're going to bring everything. We'll still do it at your house. You just do the turkey. So Thanksgiving Eve, I'm there with the turkey. I've got it all cleaned out. I've got it stuffed with my fruit and everything. And I take and I go ready to tie the legs. And I've got, I need a finger where I can finish that knot. And I started laughing. I started crying because her comment would be as she did it, she'd always say to me, who helped you tie your Boy Scout knots? So, I, you know, those are little things that, you know, not to somebody else, but to me that just, you know, and like I say, if somebody had come in, they'd have put me in this jacket and taken me right away because I was, you know. So those are the kind of things that, uh, uh, one of the things that I found in doing the book too, I, I, I got talked to a lot of people that had experience. I don't think there's anything Worse than maybe losing a spouse, maybe using a child. I can't imagine that. I, I so I couldn't tell somebody I if they lost a child. I understand because I wouldn't have a story from one lady who lost her boy in a fire. There were three sons. The house caught on fire. One son was gone. She managed to save one. One died in the fire. She had to call her husband on the road and tell him. I mean, I don't know how you do that. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. But, but I had a lot of sharing. I think, too, another thing is, is sharing the fun things. Uh, I'm on a grief committee at the church. And when we get somebody new uh, and they're a little bit shy, don't want to talk, I always say, tell me about your first date, because that's usually a, a fun thing. So people do. Uh, I tell everybody about my first date with Joyce in the book. I'll tell you this. On our first date, are you ready? <laughs> Yes. She said, unzip my dress. I'm going to leave it there. And now you got to buy the book to find out the true story. Okay. You are naughty. <laughs> Either but, for the story or the cliffhanger. I'm not sure. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Well, uh, those, are the, those are the kind of things that, you know, I got to get in the grief thing. We get people sharing their, their wedding. You know, tell us about your wedding. Well, one guy said he 
he got ready to give us put the ring on her finger. He dropped it. They both bent down to pick it up, cracked their heads. She had to sit down. Had to, the priest had to stop the ceremony, and she had to sit down for a few minutes. To re, you know, she about knocked her out. So those are the kind of things that loosen people up. To, and those are the kind of things. That the, the balloon in the box. Somebody said to me, "Well, if you just let that balloon go, then you don't have to worry about it anymore." I said, "Well, that balloon contains all your memories. I don't want to lose my memories." I want to move forward with Joyce, not without her. I spent 59, 58 years with her. How can I, how can I move forward without going through all those things? The other thing that happens to you is, and I did it, I thought about all the things we wanted to do, and that was tough. It would make me feel bad. But then I got, when I was doing the journal one day, I wrote something about that, and then that, that, or in the morning I wrote something like that. In the evening I said, wait a minute, here's all the things we did do. We did do this. We did, we did have a son. We do have a granddaughter. We had a family. We went on vacation here. We did that. There's some things we didn't get to do, but there's a lot of things we did. So I try to remember those things that we did and not dwell on the things we didn't do. That's right. And obviously, with the grief, like you said, when you were tying the legs of the turkey together, you're almost laughing and crying at the same time because those that happens, right? You have the, the grief of them not being there, but then those memories can never be taken away from you. Right. They just, I can't imagine. And so I, I, you know, Tom, my guest is Tom Rose and he's written a new book that is going to help anyone in any stage of their loss of a a loved one, but um, mostly with a spouse, because that's what it is for his personal experience. Balloon in a box, coping with grief. So many, so much wisdom in here and so many beautiful quotes and 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 different uh, stories and references. So, you writing out your feelings was sort of the, the 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 seed to to writing this book. But I I find it interesting because you also told me when I met you a year and a half ago. In addition to doing the cookbook and the cooking video segments that you do now with your son and your daughter called uh, Cooking Together Generations with proceeds going towards breast cancer research and help, you do that. You also were for a while, you were helping widows that had lost their wives who had no experience on how to do very mundane yet all important tasks of maybe grocery shopping or washing the clothes. And you made yourself available to these men. I mean, you just have a heart for service. I think, Tom, in addition for being an entertainer and a you know, a writer now, you add to that as well. But there's something about, I think, the way you approach your life in general, where you, at the time that you're going through things yourself, you're also wanting to help others at the same time. It seems to be your purpose. Yeah, uh, I've done that. One one of the other things I like to tell people is, uh, don't forget about God. He'll help you. You need to ask, maybe. Uh, there was a couple quotes. Uh, I think it was uh, Bishop Sheen said, uh, "Sometimes the only way the good Lord can get into someone's heart is to break it," and that's what he did to me. Uh, I'm a totally different person than I was four years ago. Uh, I realized in writing the book that I was a selfish person. I think everybody is to a certain extent. Uh, uh, I did some things. You know, they were bad, but I so passed up some things because of being selfish that I wish I hadn't. Uh, 
there there were a lot of things that uh, but you get into the God. There were a lot of prayers and stuff that people uh, people gave me uh, to say, and I go through them and I'd say, well, that's not really what I need to say. So if you remember, if you saw in the book, I wrote my own wrote my own prayer, mm-hmm. and I, I use it uh, probably every day, uh, and I think that helped me. When I did that, it made me realize that, like I say in a prayer, I say, maybe God and Joyce were in cahoots. Maybe to make me a better person, you know, God had to break my heart. And now he's made me a better person. I wouldn't have thought about writing a book. wouldn't have thought about doing some of the things I do now. I wouldn't have thought about helping a widow or, you know, how to do his laundry. I'd rather play golf and watch football on television, you know. Uh, but in the last three or four years, I don't do those things as much anymore. I don't think I'm all of a sudden I'm more cerebral. I'm not that smart, but you know, all of a sudden I think about things a lot more than I ever thought about them uh, about the family. I mean, I love the family, uh, but I didn't think about the family as much as I do now. Now I think about Brock and what his future might be. My granddaughter, uh, I get excited about the things that they're doing. And, and so before I, again, I'd be, I'd be happy for him and we'd all, you know, have a good laugh about something, but now it's just much deeper. Uh, I think, you know, and you, I always tell you, I don't think I ever said I love you as much as I should. I don't think people do it. I think people take it for granted. Joyce and I took it for granted. We didn't say it that much, but we should. We should say it. We should get it out, say it, let but people you know it. that you love it. And you I think that's it. the most important thing, you know. You're when, absolutely right. When you were talking about the quotes, my favorite quote, I came across hundreds of them, and I put several in the book. One was from Helen Keller. When Did you read that one when she said yes. she heard Death was like moving from one room to another. But she said, remember, when I get in this new room, I'm going to be able to see. And that really kind of hit me like, you know, there's a big difference where Joyce is now than where she was. Uh, And we don't know. You know, we all believe certain things. But uh, uh, it, it. it just it just changes you. Anybody that's lost a spouse can probably back me up here. It just totally changes your outlook on life and everything. So. Well, I think it's it, all of this is whether you're doing it for yourself or your own journey of healing and and moving through the grief, or whether it's on a grander purpose to help someone else. It does both, and I think that the world is better for it. And I strongly encourage anyone who knows someone who is dealing with grief of, a, of losing a spouse or grief of any kind, read Balloon in a Box, Coping with Grief by Thomas L. Rose. And um, b- by all means, you can also see all, all of his enterprises on there with his whole family, the Cooking Together Generations videos, which are so much fun to watch. Wonderful to see the three generations. Amanda's adorable. Your granddaughter, she's so much fun. Brock is a comedian, and so are you, Tom. And it's just, it's a great, great thing to be able to to watch. And then, of course, your cookbooks are still available. What's the best website for people to find you and your books and everything? ThomasLRose.com. 
T-H-O-M-A-S-L-R-O-S-E.com. Yes, and Thomas L. is in Laura. So right, ThomasLRose.com. Right. Terrific. Well, thank you so much. I am so blessed to have you back on the show again. I have missed, I met you only that one time, you and your, your family, but it was such a great memory. I, I am just thrilled to know that you've done even more since I got your last cookbook with Balloon in a Box, Coping with Grief. Congratulations on the book. Thank you for everything. And I continue on your journey. And, and thank you for bringing us along on it. I appreciate it, Tom Rose. Look forward to having you back on our cooking thing sometime. I look forward to being there. Okay. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me, that one. All right. <laughs> and Cooking Together Generations. He's talking about the great video show. Check that out, too. Well, we'll be back with more on the way home. I'm Laura Smith. Don't go away. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, one of the things that I've been thinking about for a very long time and wondering why there isn't more of them are public charter schools. And I just, over the time of raising my own daughter in public schools, which I was fortunate to live in a neighborhood with great ones. I lived in New York at the time, and there there were a lot of neighborhoods within the state that um, I think would have really benefited by having options to the local public school. And for someone who knows all about that and what's going on currently with the state of our public charter schools and has a lot of information that might impact the way you think of um, where your children could be educated, I have Debbie Vini here. She is the senior Vice President of Communications and Marketing at the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us on the way home. Thank you so much for allowing me to join you on the way home. (laughs) I've always wondered and been quite perplexed at the fact that there would ever be any pushback um, from any group about having a charter school. It seems like these are often wonderful uh, options in terms of different types of education or different ways of of having kids learn and and options when people maybe are in uh, situations or school districts that um, have you know schools that aren't quite living up to the the level that uh, people are expecting and hope for indeed with the amount of school taxes that we pay in this country. So let's just get a background a little bit on what a public charter school actually is. I think a lot of people think we know what it is, but we may not know exactly. So if you don't mind. Not at all. Um, So public charter schools or simply charter schools are always public schools, every one of them. And I know there's a lot of confusion about that, but they're never private schools. There's never a cost to attend. They have to take every student who comes to them unless they run out of space, at which point the law requires them to go to lottery so we don't get to pick our kids. And they are just smaller, more innovative, more nimble schools that are community-based and meet the needs of what families and the community want. Exactly. So, so outside at, the school system. Yeah. 
Yes, I I mean, I was under the impression for many years, I interviewed someone um, from your organization last year, I was under the impression my whole life that they they were a form of a private school, and that you may not have to pay for them, but there was a a big process in order to get into them, and there weren't really that many enough around, so there weren't enough spaces for kids. So, So tell us a little bit, where where are these public charter schools and if they are actually alternatives for people who may not feel that their particular area code where they they have their kids um, enroll is really the best fit for them. So how is it that people can go about finding these charter homes? And then we'll talk a little bit about what's going on sort of in the landscape of education and some of the barriers that are, are happening in terms of the growth of charter schools and, and their attendance. So charter schools exist in 44 states, plus the District of Columbia, plus Guam and Puerto Rico. They serve right now 3.6 million students, and that works out to be about 7% of all public school students in the country. Um, To attend a charter school, you just sign up. You just can sign your kid up and... um, if there's space available, then we take them on a as needed, you know, as a first come first serve basis. And then, uh, if there is an oversubscription and there are not enough uh, seats available, then the charter school would have to do a lottery so to make it fair, so that they're not picking and choosing the kids who get to come to them. Um, no requirements like um, testing, or you don't have to write an essay, you don't have to do an audition. It's just the same as any other public school, except they're smaller, and you're not locked into um, just the school that you're zoned to. So this is really cool in certain areas where, you know, in a given city, you might be in one section of the city, and this is your zoned public school that, that you're assigned to. Well, with a charter school there in the area, you're just um, able to choose, and you can say, well, maybe I don't want to go to this particular school that I've been zoned to because maybe it doesn't meet my kids' needs the same. Maybe I want a smaller school or maybe I want like a more specialized type of an educational experience. And that's where charter schools fit in. Absolutely. And I have never understood who or or what type of um, organization or situation would be against something like that. It just seems like it's a super serving uh, of any community. And when you say a lottery system, I am remembering now uh, uh, in the next neighborhood over from mine, that's what happened. There was a charter school there and everyone wanted their kids to go into it. It was there was something about it that was very attractive for people um, in in this particular neighborhood. But it was lottery based. And so it was just, you know, uh, so they said it was about just picking names, you know, at random and and that's how their admittance was and but i just remember every parent in that neighborhood just hoping and hoping upon hope that their child would be chosen why is there any resistance in any community or from any uh type of board in the united states that would be against a charter school well there are a lot of people that really don't understand what charter schools are. So that's some of the resistance that you might see there. And then there are other really powerful special interest groups 
that don't like charter schools because they don't like the fact that there can be an independent public school, that it can sit independent of a school district, that it might not, it might choose to not be unionized, so it doesn't have the collective bargaining restrictions that will go with most public schools. And they've got the freedom and the flexibility to do whatever is right for kids. And that's very threatening to some people who would like to more tightly control the kind of textbooks that kids can have or the amount of instructional time that kids can have in a given subject. I see. And, and yeah, again, that just seems crazy to me that especially when it comes to kids and having them have the best opportunities for a good education, it seems just completely antithetical to, you know, hoping for the best for every child that they get what they need. And yet you have some adults in the room making the decision that they shouldn't have that choice. So where do we stand right now in the nation? You said 44 states have opted into this, including Puerto Rico, D.C. and Guam. Uh, where do where do we stand now? Is this something? Do you feel like there's a great future for charter schools, or does it have anything to do with uh, maybe the administration of 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 the country at any given time that's either for or against it? How is it working right now? So, uh, awesome, awesome point that you're raising. The Charter schools have enjoyed support from every single administration, beginning with um, President Bill Clinton. So this has enjoyed uh, bipartisan support. Every president from Bill Clinton right up until um, Donald Trump has supported charter schools. And the Biden administration has oddly not been as supportive as the previous administrations. And it's particularly interesting to note that because Barack Obama was one of the strongest supporters of charter schools that we've ever had. And having served as the vice president under Barack Obama, this is an interesting departure that we're seeing with the Biden administration. Yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me, actually. So is there anything that either the public can do or the people that run the charter schools? Is there some type of organization that can overcome this? Are are you not being funded the money that you need to create new and, and more of these charter schools? This funding is in grave jeopardy. So the Congress did its part and appropriated the money. So that's great. But then the Department of Education kind of snuck in these rules at the last minute so that people basically won't be able to actually qualify for it. So it would have been, you know, one thing if our funding got cut and we would have had, uh, you know, a fight on our hands with that. But this rule was just arbitrarily, these set of rules were arbitrarily concocted by the Department of Education. And they didn't even tell anybody. They just kind of slid them in. And it's um, what we have to do is fight against this. So about a thousand parents came to Washington, D.C. yesterday and took it right to the steps of the U.S. Department of Education and let them know how they felt about it, and then over to the White House as well. And for any of your listeners who are saying, well, hey, I didn't make it to Washington, D.C. yesterday, what can I do now? You can contact your congressperson. You can let them know to fight for you and to let the Department of Education know they need to back down. And it's actually not even too late to uh, let the Department of Education know that you're watching them, too. The official comment period is closed, but there is still time to get on Twitter or, you know, raise your voices and let the department know that this is not okay. 
Absolutely. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, I feel that these public charter schools super serve our students and our future students and every parent is, and all of us, we pay our taxes. Um, if Congress has voted to appropriate this money uh, to it, then nothing should be obstructing its way. Um, right now, we're in a crisis in education in this country. It's it, in my opinion, it is so vastly important. So, okay. So we let our Congress people know what we feel about this. We let the Board of Education know what we also feel about it and um, go for it in that way. And uh, long live the the charter school and may it uh, may it find its way through and over this and then to a much brighter future so that everyone who needs the option and wants the option can have it. Where can people find some great information on this, Debbie Vini? You can go or your listeners can go to publiccharters.org or to charterswork.com. Either charterswork.com or what was the first one? Public charter, publiccharters.org. Publiccharters.org. Great to know. Thank you so much. Debbie Vini, Senior Vice President of Communications and Marketing at the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing and for coming on the way home. Thank you for having me, Laura. You're listening to The Way Home, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. I love this part of the show where we get to focus for, well, a few minutes at least on all the good things happening in the world. Well, maybe not all of them, but some of them. And for that, we turn to Jim Cleefield. He is my guru of good news, better known as Jimmy Dean. What do you have for us this week? I always save it as a surprise, Jimmy. I never know what you're, I know that you send them to me in advance. But I like to be surprised. So what's the first one this week? Well, I know you love surprises, Laura, and this is a real special story. You know, there are many ways to fall in love, aren't there? I mean, in this particular case, how about after heart and lung transplants? This actually happened to a wonderful couple in Texas. I don't know how old they are. I guess it's a young couple here. But anyway, I'll tell you the story. It begins with Bobby Chanel. Back in 2003, about 20 years ago, he was given very little time left to live. You see, he needed a heart transplant. And along the way, he had to wear the defibrillator and pacemaker and other devices to keep him alive. Well, he stayed alive for quite some time until apparently this past January 13th, I presume, he finally did get that heart. But along the way, he was staying at a place called Norris Place. It's in Houston, Texas, and it's a place for heart transplants, their recipients, and their families. And uh, he happened to meet a very, very nice girl along the way while he was in recovery. And uh, her name, uh, and again, he said, Faith kind of gave him some hope, if you will. The word faith, well, we're not talking the spiritual sense here, ladies and gentlemen. No, 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 no. We're talking about faith in terms of the name faith. Faith, it was the woman that he met, and she lived in the uh, room across from him, 
at Nora's place, and it's a, a, a credible story. They really became smitten with each other because in Faith's particular case, she needed a transplant of her very own. In this case, it was a lung transplant, and she had been on and off transplant list for about, I'd say, six years, and they just uh, happened to be across the room from each other. And when Bobby told about Faith, this uh, lovely girl, I mean, she just really uh, she just really got smitten with him, was like giggling, and just they really, really got to know each other very, very well. Her name is Faith Crouch, by the way. That's her last name. And uh, they said, you know, we just we want to go out together. I mean, they're both recovering now, and she sees no reason for them not to be together. Wedding bells, anybody? Well, anyway, they just uh, it just they connected uh, on different levels. Even though, as I said, they're going through similar health situations, but they're both in recovery right now. They love each other very much, and uh, who knows what their life is going to take them? But uh, it's just tremendous. And again, Norris Place uh, again has served many many patients over the years since it opened back in 2013. And again, this place was what really brought them together. So faith really did have a, a transformative word here. In this case, you know, the word faith and the woman's name faith, and uh, they're just very happy together. So good this for them. The first time they've been matchmakers? I would think so. <laughs> yeah. I think that's incredible. You know, because when you think about it, it's, you know, a lot of people, you know, turn to online dating and things like that, and there's nothing wrong with it. And a lot of people I know have actually found true love on there. Yeah. But what I love are these stories of kismet or you know something remarkable like this that you could almost write a movie around it i mean it seems almost too perfect to be true but it is true so that is just one of those that's incredible and uh so hopefully the the heart and the lung patient have super long lives of of love and happiness together i loved it thank you so much jim what else you got for us well one of my favorite subjects we talk about on the show well not every show but most of the time of course we talk about furries but i want to mention this story about an heroic black lab named max because uh, he saved the life of his owner and this was also in texas by the way uh, a woman who had been missing for uh, at least three days her name is sherry knob she's 63 years old and i guess she went jogging one day in uh, george Bush park and uh, for whatever reason, she had been gone missing for three days, at least what the reports were saying. And nobody really knew where she was, where she was at the time. So uh, after three days later, some volunteers were trying to find her. They went to this park because they knew she was familiar with. And we also remember, by the way, that she has dementia, so she can't really think on her feet very well. And whatever happened, she must have had some sort of a fall, not a major one. She had some cuts and bruises. But the sound of the dog barking, Max's voice, Hint, it gave uh, volunteers a, a sign of where she was. They heard they heard the barking, and luckily they were able to find Sherry. And uh, it's just it's a tremendous the fact that that dog's voice saved her life because otherwise they never would have found her. And uh, I remember her daughter saying that, uh, oh, she's so excited. I mean, Max is really just a genuine hero. And, and again, pets are more than our family. I mean, they can be heroes. They are lifesavers. And in particular, in this case, uh, they shaved, saved Sherry's life uh, because of the fact that that dog you know, had the presence of mind to bark and loud as possible. And all of a sudden, there were the volunteers on a very dark night. This happened in the middle of the night, about 3 a.m. I guess it wasn't a very well-lit place. And again, by the miracle of all miracles, this dog saved this woman's life. So she's indebted to him for a long, long time. That's really great. I mean, seriously, if that's last week, you had one about the three legged dog that saved the otter. That's right. And now you've now you've got this dog, Max, who saved his uh, owner three o'clock in the morning. Pretty incredible stuff there. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you very much. And I know you with your new dog at Dogtopia and uh, watching how many dogs I should say. Yes. You told us last week that you were carrying uh, up to 40 dogs. As many as 40. It depends on the day. As many as 40. 
So wait a second. So is this like a daycare? So they get dropped off every day? Pretty much. Uh, it's a daycare. There's a spa. Whatever your needs are for your dog. I mean, they can be there five days a week. They can be six days a week. They can have there's a suite for them if they like. Uh, I mean, we really try to make them. You know, we're the godparents. Okay, and you, know, you have the parents and you have the god poppy like me and the god mommies to try to take care of these pets as their very own. And I really take that job very seriously because uh, having been around dogs all my whole life, I mean, I really take a lot of pride in that. And it's very important you know, to keep them in health, a safe environment. Those are the two things that we stress at Dogtopia. And I really, really try to do it to the very best of my ability because if the dogs are happy and the pet parents are happy and my bosses are happy, guess what? I'm going to be happy because I know we got the job done. Oh, my goodness. You are really like the ultimate pet sitter. You better be careful. People are going to hear this show and they're going to want to hire you for to you know come personally. Well, I mean, my home. mentor said you are the dog whisperer. I mean, he wasn't kidding. And my sister said the same thing. And I, I, every time I see them, you know, sleeping and relaxed, it's just and they're not fighting with each other. I mean, that's what I know. I got the job done. That's the end game here for me. The end game is to see them happy because we want them to have the greatest day ever. That's our motto there. Oh, I, that is so touching. The greatest day ever. I want to go to that daycare. I wish there was a daycare for adults, humans. Yeah, one, where could we have? Maybe where we could just one. go like that and just have somebody kind of take care of us. How about we the way relax. home daycare? What do you think about that for us? No. The what? The way home daycare. The, we could just sponsor that. Just oh, the a, way home daycare. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Or, I think that's called a spa. A spa. <laughs> At least yeah. that's what I would call. Of course. Anyway, well, that is wonderful stuff. Thank you so much, and Bob. Um. Thank you for all you do, putting the show together for us every single week. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks, Bob. Yep. And uh, we will, of course, have another episode for you as every single week here. Try to bring you different stories and different uh, voices to make a difference in your life on some level, one way or another, and do it with love. So thank you all for listening to The Way Home again. And thank you to Balance of Nature, Fruits and Veggies in a Capsule which you can order and get extreme and optimal health by having the right amount of fruits and vegetables every day. Go to balanceofnature.com and put Laura into the promo code. That way they know you heard it right here. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Be well, be safe, be healthy, happy, and we'll see you next time on the way home. I'm Laura Smith.